Hey everyone and welcome to episode 43 of the Sassy Pod. I'm Viv and I'm Alex. So on this episode we have Victoria Myers and she is a lovely, I, we love her, she, so she's yeah. from South Carolina and um, one of my favorite places that I want to visit because of Nicholas Sparks and all the movies like The Notebook and um, I don't know like all those like lovey movies that I love are all based in that area pardon take place there yeah like it with the with the pond with like all the I don't Mm. know the sunset and like birds and it's just literally gorgeous and on the top of my bucket list to visit but anyway so Victoria is a dietitian and she's basically helping and her office is just the nourishing minds nutrition and then she also has a podcast called nourishing women if anyone wants to go check that out for more specific content she literally has so many episodes just about like really really specific things and she has on really amazing guests that are really knowledgeable in different fields um but she essentially helps women kind of let go of this like or people in general of like restrictive eating and like focusing on just being healthy and quote-unquote healthy eating I guess like right yeah like more intuitive more Mm -hmm. kind of non more flexible eating Mm -hmm. is what she's kind of all about and yeah we talk about so many things like non-diet diet things that she just kind of like debunks also body image like we literally go all over the place and I Mm -hmm. think everyone's gonna love this episode because it's so relevant to the time right now Mm -hmm. especially like summer like oh summer bodies blah 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 like we've talked about that already (laughs) yeah and we also talk a lot about for our hot girls with digestive issues um we talk about like IBS and where digestive issues start and they're not always from what you're eating so and I think that's really interesting and something to think about too um but yeah so if you want to go check out her Instagram it's just nourishing minds nutrition um and she posts a lot of like quick facts things that they talk about things about their episodes and then I'm sure there's an episode um a podcast episode page as well so go check that out if you're interested um we're just gonna do our sassy quote this week and then we're gonna have an episode um our next episode or the one after that where we just kind of have like a shit ton of nuggets and just like a lot of tips and a kind of catch-up talk episode so we're gonna save our nuggets for our next episode and just kind of sit down and talk because we've had a lot of guests on recently and just kind of vibe like the good old days so (laughs) um but I'll start with my sassy quote and it resonates with this episode and their self-love affirmations. And I might post this on our Instagram so everyone can go do them. But um, it's, I love myself. I love my body. I am beautiful. I am a star. I am enough. I am worthy of love. I have a purpose. I believe in myself. I am wanted. I am loved. I am strong. I am fearless. I am powerful. I matter. I love my flaws. Self-love, self-love club. Oh, is that from the self-love love club on Instagram? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it says self-love affirmation, mm. self-love club. So I love yeah. those sweet and short and sweet. Enough sweet. Oh, I love those. And I love, we love a good affirmation, even though I still haven't put them into my routine. Just because I, yeah. feel, like, I feel like I'm already like on a good like journey with my body. But if I ever needed it, I feel like I would... I would love those. Um, 
Okay, so mine is a quote, and it's actually from the Nourishing Minds Nutrition uh, Instagram. You guys should go check out her Instagram. She has, it's so aesthetic. She has (laughs) 30K followers. Like she does the most on it. It's so good. Mm -hmm. So she basically uh, posted this quote that says, body image isn't about what our bodies look like. It's our thought patterns that determine how we feel about our bodies which I completely agree with, obviously, but I kind of just wanted to elaborate and kind of build upon something else that I saw. I think I saw it on TikTok and it was basically like, if if people in smaller bodies, if people with thin privilege, a topic that we talk about, mm-hmm. um, if people in smaller bodies have still have body image, then body image is not about being in a smaller body Mm -hmm. because if it was why would people in smaller bodies have body image issues Mm -hmm. so that kind of just builds upon this quote that she posted on her Instagram and it's kind of like so true that body image is a lot more than what our bodies look like it's it's the thought patterns in our head it's what's going on like in these brains of ours Mm -hmm. that is affecting like how we look at our bodies and how we look at other people's bodies so which which I think is hard to realize in the moment when you're chasing a certain goal and like I feel like Vivian and I have talked about this before like when you have these goals and they're they're hard to reach and then you reach them and it you're still not happy you know like there's a no there's no end to these goals if they're if they're not going to meet your reality so love that Okay, everyone. So today we have on the lovely Victoria Myers, and she is a dietitian and the owner of the virtual practice, private practice and online education center, Nourishing Minds Nutrition. So we're going to have Victoria on today to kind of just talk about how women can become empowered um, to ditch diets, to regulate their hormones, heal digestion, and learn to practice wellness without obsession and kind of getting rid of that obsession with healthy eating. So welcome, Victoria. Thank you, Alex and Vivian, for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Um, But I guess so just like the first couple questions is maybe just explain who you are and how you kind of got into becoming a dietitian, but more specifically like focused on ditching that obsession with healthy eating. Like did something happen in your own life or your own experience that led you to kind of target in that area? Oh yeah, it was a very personal journey. So yeah, I'm happy to to share that with you all today. So I'm Victoria, as I said, I own an online nutrition business where my team and I specialize in working with women who struggle with orthorexia. So if you've never heard that term, it's the unhealthy obsession with eating healthy. And because that can often affect our hormones, it can cause stuff like HA, uh, which is when you have a missing period and it can cause IBS symptoms. We specialize in kind of all those different areas because- orthorexia gets very impacted by a lot of different things. So um, we have online courses and we also work with people in a one-on-one setting and there's myself and two dietitians that work with me. So it's a really personal journey for sure. So I personally always had a really odd relationship with my body. I never was comfortable or caught confident in it. I can even remember as like a really young child being um, uncomfortable in my body. And it really manifested in odd eating habits and disordered behaviors at a pretty young age. I think if I even look back in childhood, I can see some of the 
the, the characteristics of disordered eating at a pretty young age, but I vividly remember at 16 deciding to go on a diet and then the rest is kind of history. I had a not a 10 year battle with yo-yo dieting and always going from one diet plan to the next. I was trying to change my body and fix my body for me. It was just very rooted in trying to be the perfect body, the perfect person. Being a registered dietitian comes with a lot of weight back then, especially this is about 10 years ago. Um, back then uh, people kind of expected you to look and act the part. So I always felt mm-hmm. this pressure to, to be a, you know, the dietitian who ate the way everyone expected of me and exercise and have the body. So again, it started in high school, but it continued through college and my undergrad as a nutrition major, and then even continued as a registered dietitian. And actually, funny enough, it didn't change until I went on my honeymoon. So I got married, was really disordered that whole year leading up to it. And then when I came back from my honeymoon, I had kind of a, a breaking point. And I remember thinking to myself, there has to be a better way to live life. Like this is not normal to feel so fixated and preoccupied about food. I spent my entire honeymoon just like obsessing over the food because I had barely eaten the entire year prior. And I'm so grateful for that breaking point because it led me to intuitive eating and body image work and healing my own hormone and IBS issues. And as you can tell now, that's what we specialize in my practice. So yes, a very, very personal journey indeed. (laughs) (laughs) And with like intuitive eating, I know there's like some people say there's a difference between like food freedom. I don't know. Like it's a very um, controversial topic. I feel like Mm -hmm. because it's like, it's not just eating whenever you feel like it and whatever you feel like it, like it's a lot more deep than that. Right. Absolutely. And I understand why people often think of it as it's just food freedom. It's just eating whatever you want, whenever you want, but it's honestly kind of a surface level understanding of intuitive eating. So like, no worries. If you personally feel that way right now, I would just encourage getting the actual intuitive eating book or listening to podcasts like our own or any podcast that really dive deeper into intuitive eating, because it's actually an evidence-based practice with over 120 studies to date on it. And it's a mind body health approach. So we often describe it as like a, it's like a self-care eating framework. It's about actions of self-care, not self-control. And it's really tuning someone back into their body to understand how to eat, how to live their lives, how to move their bodies. But we're not doing it from a method of always trying to lose weight, always trying to change our bodies. It's very much about respecting and making peace with your body and learning how to take care of your body without that always being the sole focus. But yeah, it's definitely more than just those things. Again, I understand why there's that there's that preconception. I think a lot of people need to hear that information of like, yes, you can eat what you want. Um, a big part of it is unconditional permission, but that's not, that's like one aspect of like the many aspects of this work. So. Yeah, that's so interesting. And it's also great that you like specialize in orthorexia because we've kind of talked about it a bit on the podcast because I've heard about it on social media and, and I kind of see that on social media, it's becoming, or I think it's becoming more prevalent because this whole like healthy eating kind of era of social media is exploding and all these supplements and all these what I eat in a days. So I think it's great that you can like discuss that with us. So what do you have like a definition of what orthorexia is or how it manifests? Yeah. Yeah. It's such a good question. I'm so glad you're asking that Vivian, because there is a lot of like um, misconceptions about it. And I would say every single time I post about it on Instagram, people are like, what's wrong with eating healthy? And I'm like, it's you know, so much more than just that. 
there's nothing wrong with eating healthy. I'm a registered dietitian. I like to eat well. I like to care for my body. So, Mm -hmm. um, orthorexia, I think I gave this definition a second ago, but it's the unhealthy obsession with eating healthy. Obviously it's more in depth than that though. So what tends to happen with orthorexia, and this is true of actually all eating disorders is that there's like multiple factors that go into play of someone developing disordered eating and eating disorders, particularly with orthorexia, there seems to be more of a fixation on less about calories and body size, although that can definitely be part of it. And it's more about like clean and pureness and your ingredients being perfect and eating just super clean, super perfectly. But what's challenging about that is everyone has a different definition of what is clean. So with someone who has orthorexia, there tends to be a lot of uh, researching and a lot of analyzing and overanalyzing. Sometimes there's hours spent kind of obsessing over maybe the influencers you follow or even maybe some like dietitians or healthcare, just trying to emulate other people's eating habits, always trying to like, again, be the perfect eater. Um, and it has, I mean, some people who have OCD, this wasn't me, per, sorry, some people who have orthorexia have OCD. That wasn't me personally, but there are a lot of characteristics and tendencies towards that. And just generalized anxiety, depression, all those things can be impacted into orthorexia. I would also say we often see a lot of similarities with orthorexia and, um, like it can be similar to anorexia and bulimia, but also different. And again, that's sometimes it's not about body size. Sometimes it's just about being as clean and pure as possible. A lot of perfectionist tendencies, a lot of type A tendencies. A lot of my clients tend to be like, they're very gripped onto control in their lives as much as possible. So there's a lot of factors that go into it, but the biggest thing I always say, and like an indicator that you might be a little too obsessed with eating well is when it takes away from the quality of your life or you stop engaging socially in your life. And also when you eat, how you move your bodies, how you live your life, if it's causing stress and anxiety and worry, that's not healthy. Like that's not what eating healthy is supposed to be about. It's not supposed to be about, um, you know, living your life, just to eat healthy. It's supposed to be like eating well and taking care of your body so you can go enjoy and live your life. So that's just a few examples of how you can kind of indicate if someone's struggling with orthorexia. Yeah, that's so interesting. And like, I think lately in my language, I've been trying to stop saying like, this is healthy and this is not healthier. This Which is, is so hard, right? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes yeah. it just like happens, but I've been trying to catch myself and be like, wait, no, this is just food. It's not a good food. It's not a bad food. It's just what I want to eat right now. And obviously I'm like conscious of what's more nutritionally dense, mm-hmm. but at the same time, if I am not feeling that, or if I don't have it in my fridge, then it it's not going to impact my day. I can just figure it out, which... I'm kind of happy I've gone that way because I think I could have gone down a bad path in like second year university. We're going into our fourth year university, but Mm -hmm. second year I was like pretty rigid and going to the gym all the time and being like, oh, I only want to eat out or like unhealthy foods on the weekends. Mm -hmm. But then now I'm kind of more just like, if I eat unhealthy, unhealthy, then it's whatever. If I eat more nutrients, nutrient dense foods and whatever. It's just kind of like what I'm feeling. I think that is so cool of both of you that you guys are like doing this work now. I like only think of myself in college and there's like no way I would have ever been able to, I don't understand these kind of concepts, make peace with it. I mean, I was so, I think when you're so deep in it, you can't even see the light at the end of the tunnel, but um, that's just really, really cool. And it makes me excited for your generation that you guys are like, this is where I think social media is so beneficial, right? Mm -hmm. Because you guys are like seeing this kind of stuff and you're aware of it. I have cousins that are y'all's age and like they know about disordered eating. They know about poor body image and like 
they're not engaging in it because they know it's a thing. So I just think it's really cool. That did not happen when I was in college. So that's awesome. (laughs) One thing too, I was going to mention is like most of our listeners are probably around our age, like in university, just starting university out of university. Cause I guess in Canada here, like it's university for you, it's college, but, um, (laughs) and I think it's a time in our lives where we're dependent on ourselves for food. Mm-hmm. And like Vivian and I both in, cause in first, in our first year of school, we were like in a residence. So we were just eating whatever they had. But in second year is a time when you go buy your own groceries, you are dependent on yourself to eat when you want, what you want and how much. And then I think for me too, like I live in a house with six girls. So it feels like constantly like food is always like something that we're thinking about and something that is like surrounding our lives. And it's really, really hard to get out of that cycle of like stop thinking about it so much because it's just like mm-hmm. when are we getting groceries like who's cooking at this time who's that so I think it's a really interesting conversation we're having with you because it is something that I think a lot of our listeners have struggled with is like how to manage body image how to manage what you're eating and like also being reliant on yourself for the very first time mm-hmm. and they always say um just generalized eating disorders can often present in times of really big transition and changes. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense to me that so many people start to develop disordered eating in their college years. I would say that's when mine definitely started to spiral even mm-hmm. more out of control. And it makes sense given all the things you just said, right? Like you're eating, you're like, you're in charge of your own food. You're thinking mm-hmm. about how to cook, when you're going to cook, what you're going to make, um, how often you're going to eat, being around other people eating. And then also I would say body image is just really, really hard during mm-hmm. university or college, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you're often around people who are also worried about their body size and looking exactly. a certain way and um, also dating. And I don't know, I just can definitely, I can have so much compassion why it feels extra challenging during those years, but also so empowering to choose to not engage in that and just to trust that your body can take care of itself too. Mm -hmm. And one thing I was going to say too, is that something we talked about on the podcast before, but I had a parasite from like a couple of years ago and I got, I was in Kenya and then I came back and got a parasite. So I got all these like (laughs) IBS and stomach problems. And then I'm now I have a bunch of friends that have like IBS, have bloating issues, have gut issues that are all kind of surfacing. And I did this whole program last summer with a dietitian to kind of reset my body and kind of get all the, I don't know, just figure out like what was irritating me and kind of cleanse out the parasite. It was like a very structured nutrition plan. But through that, I kind of realized that um, foods are being categorized as like good and bad. Mm -hmm. And I became off of that terrified to eat like bread, terrified to eat any carbs that were like supposed to be irritating me and what I wanted to ask you is like I have all these friends with gut issues and how through these when you're not allowed to eat certain foods how do you develop a good relationship with food to the point where it doesn't make you feel like terrified to eat something after even though like yes it may be affecting your stomach in a negative way but there's like ways to get around that and other things you can substitute with and yeah I just like it was a bit really big struggle for me to like not to actually start eating bread again because the nutritionist made me feel like that was like the worst thing ever and it's just something that I'm seeing again and again happen to my friends and building that healthy relationship again with food has been really really hard yeah thank you so much for sharing that story and I can understand why it would be so challenging given what you've shared and you're right a lot of people are struggling with IBS IBS symptoms 
IBS is so complex though. And when you are sharing this with me, I kind of had two different thoughts. The first thought I had was sometimes eliminating foods is like a medical necessity. Mm -hmm. So we know with IBS, um, something like the low FODMAP diet is temporarily something that needs Mm -hmm. to be utilized. Um, uh, Probably an easier example just to to understand is something like celiac disease, right? When Mm -hmm. someone has celiac disease, they medically absolutely have to avoid gluten at all costs. They can't even have cross-contamination because that can cause a flare-up. So it's it's vitally important to their health. And whenever we have clients that have celiac disease, we always say to them, you know, your version of intuitive eating just is sans any gluten. You mm-hmm. can still practice every one of the 10 principles of intuitive eating. We can still have all foods in your eating world. We're just choosing gluten-free bread and gluten-free pasta mm-hmm. and gluten-free baked goods and muffins and all that type of stuff. So I think if there are food limitations, finding ways to still have food freedom is going to be really, really important. There is also a lot of information on the internet that kind of tells you that you have to eliminate all these foods to Mm -hmm. manage your medical conditions, particularly IBS. It's probably the most common Mm -hmm. that you see is like, you have to take out all these foods. And to me, it's like, well, sometimes Sometimes that is needed. Most of my clients, though, their IBS symptoms are a direct cause from their disordered eating. That's then, what I was going to ask you about. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's, it's hard to make peace with that. I get that. But disordered eating truly has an impact on the body. And that's why we do that work. That's why we do IBS and pure, hormone work in addition to orthorexia because they go hand in hand. So what happens in the body is a bunch of different things. But one of the main things you can think about is the gut brain access. So what that means is your gut and brain are connected and affected by each other. And they actually talk to each other and they talk via the microbiome, which is like so fascinating to sit and think about the fact that our bacteria help our brain and our gut talk to each other. Yeah. I've done Uh, a bunch of essays on this topic. So I love it. (laughs) Isn't it so interesting? I love thinking about it. And I think it can help us understand why when we have anxiety or we're prone to feel anxious thoughts around food, we literally can cause symptoms in our body and then vice versa too. Whenever our gut is, you know, we're having a lot of extra symptoms, it's very easy for the brain to get fixated being like, okay, what food was it that I ate? What do I need to eliminate? What do I need to get out of my diet? And I think part of that is our cultural fixation on eliminating foods and the health and wellness version of diet culture that exists right now that again, kind of demonizes all food and says, you know, these foods are always going to cause digestive symptoms when really it's really individualized. I have never worked with a client where I was like, okay, everything is like, it's always going to be these foods. I've never seen that happen clinically. And I've been working as a dietitian for like 10 plus years at this point. So I don't think that it's never a thing to have food sensitivities. I just think it's misses the mark to say like all people should avoid X, Y, and Z foods. And Mm -hmm. if there's unhealthy relationship with food, we know that alone can cause symptoms. It also, you know, impacts the body's ability to get to the rest and digest mode. It also causes your body to be in a state of survival, which literally shuts down pathways like digestion. It shuts down gastric secretions. It shuts down um, motility, like your peristalsis contractions in your GI system. So the way you can think of it is like evolutionary speaking, if we were running from a tiger, it wouldn't make sense for us to like have a period or go to the bathroom and mm-hmm. have a bowel movement, right? It just like, why would we do that right then? I know it sounds crazy to compare that, but our bodies are in that state of survival whenever mm-hmm. we're not eating enough, whenever we're in that constant state of stress. So it really does have a large impact on the body. So when we work with people, we focus first and foremost on healing their relationship with food. And then, and then if needed, we apply gentle nutrition practices, which is the 10th and final, uh, 
principle of intuitive eating, a lot of times it's more about adding certain things in. So like as an example, adding more peppermint into your diet that can help soothe the GI tract and add mucosogens or adding ginger, adding turmeric, um, adding more plants into your diet because we know that does encourage a diverse gut microbiome. Um, maybe adding more cooked foods instead of raw when you're having a GI flare-up. So there's definitely ways you can add in and then like lastly, take out if needed. So our practice is just a little different because we feel like that's like the last thing my people need is to take out more foods. They usually already have eliminated just about everything. So I think, again, it's not that it's never necessary. I just don't think it should be the first thing we always go for. I actually think we should always consider stress first and foremost. Mm -hmm. I think that's such a good, like, I think I love what you're doing because I felt like I was taking out all these foods that I loved. And then I was terrified to like bring them back into my diet because I had to take them out Mm -hmm. instead of like looking at what I was eating and being like, oh, maybe we can increase this. And I also think the running away from the lion thing is so true because when I was having all these digestive issues, like I wasn't regular every morning, I'd be like hucking chia seeds in my water, like hoping that it would like (laughs) make me poo and like doing all these different things. Right. But it's like stressing my body out the fact that I wouldn't, that I wasn't doing that. So it's like this fight or flight mode. And I also think that um, like stress was having, like, I wasn't sleeping. Like there's all these other things. And the first thing I was like, oh, it's what I'm eating. Yeah. So isn't it interesting? That's what we always go to when I was struggling with IBS. First thing I went for, it was like, oh my God, it has to be something that I'm eating. And again, sometimes it is that, but we have to consider that like other things also cause digestive symptoms too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think it's, it's quite interesting, like looking at a more holistic approach of it and like looking at just like the wellness of your body instead of all these extra things. And I I do think it made like a kind of disordered eating in me because I was just like, I just didn't want to eat anything that wasn't meat or vegetables. (laughs) Yeah. You were kind of on like a keto. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I thought, but it did. It was the the trendy one right now for sure. Um, it did help with my stomach issues. Like now I can eat whatever. It's just been like the hardest part has been integrating those foods again and being Mm -hmm. like, this is okay. Like this Mm -hmm. is okay for me to eat without feeling like shit afterwards. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe what I hear you saying, and maybe like all of us providers can do a better job of is like, if a medical diet is necessary, for whatever reason, in your case, it sounds like that was what helped you feel your best. Let's, let's be thoughtful of the language we use as Vivian was saying earlier, like, mm-hmm. it's not putting foods in good and bad categories. And also talk about like, this is just temporary. Like, did y'all hear when I said low FODMAP, I was like a temporary diet. So that is a super evidence-based diet to help improve IBS symptoms, but like, it's not meant to be used for more than two to six weeks maximum. So I think it's just the language that we use. We have to be so thoughtful of, it's like, okay, even if that is necessary, how can we add that back in and just be thoughtful that like, it doesn't have to be a a long-term thing, unless it's something again, like you have celiac disease and you have to eat a gluten-free diet, something like that. Mm -hmm. I think this is kind of a great segue to another topic that I wanted to discuss, which is kind of like misconceptions about diet. And I don't know, like an example of one I've heard on social media is that like, you should eat more carbs in the morning and less at night, which I don't know where the scientific evidence comes from that, but I just feel like there's so many of these misconceptions going around that get in people's head and then kind of make them more strict mm-hmm. because of that. Instead of just, I don't know, you go out for dinner and just get a pizza. They're like, oh no, I can't have carbs at night. So I'm going to have no, a no bun. I used to do that. No bun with, with my burger. Yeah. You would order a burger, just a patty. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. So is your question like, where did these come from? Or is it more like, are they true? Yeah. More like what are they true? And do you know of any other misconceptions that you can kind of debunk? Mm, Okay. Well, let's start with like the one that you just shared. I've definitely heard that one. So eat more carbs in the morning and less carbohydrates in the evening. And I think what's interesting about that is the moment you said that to me, I was like, well, there are some studies on it for diabetes and PCOS management, but it kind of similar concept of like, these are medical conditions that may Mm -hmm. warrant something like that. I mean, like you mentioned the keto diet earlier, I think Vivian, you did. Um, The keto diet was developed for epilepsy, right? Like Mm -hmm. for people who have seizures, like that's a warranted situation to eat a medical diet, I think. Um, So I always like to say like extreme situations warrant extreme diets, like Mm -hmm. epilepsy warrants an extreme diet of keto. I would imagine if I had it, I would be willing to try just about anything. So much love to those people who struggle with that. Anyways, um, so there are studies out there that do show that there is improved insulin resistance and like there's better blood sugar management when we eat more carbohydrates in the morning and less in the evening for those specific conditions. It hasn't been studied on like the general public though in general population who don't struggle with those things. And I think what we have to be careful of with any nutrition research is applying like a one size fits all to like every body based off of research. So just because there's some research out there that says that doesn't mean like every person now needs to only eat carbohydrates in the morning and not eat them in the evening. That's not what research is meant to do. Um, you can even look at the research on like fasting and stuff. Like it's not meant to say like every person should fast. It's just saying that like in some of these medical conditions, it can be supportive. Um, I'm thinking of the research on the migrating motor complex, which is related to IBS and stuff. And like them doing that research was not meant for them to tell people like, Hey, you should like never eat snacks in between meals. They were just doing research on the way, like Mm -hmm. the migrating motor complex works anyways. So I, again, would say to that person who's like, I really feel like, I mean, I saw this research. I see all these people talking about it. Um, do I have to do it? No, it's about what works best for your body. Like, even if you do potentially have like diabetes or PCOS, it's still about what works for you and your body and what's realistic to your lifestyle. I mean, I don't think we should ever say that like every person should eat a very specific way. So, um, I would just be careful of not applying all the things that you're going to say on the internet and making it feel as if like you have to do that yourself just because there's research doesn't mean you have to do that. I've been seeing a lot of people use that that research that you're talking about with the carbs and like saying it's like to improve your metabolism and like to burn body fat. And mm-hmm. I think that's just, it gets orthorexic really quickly. Like, why are we so fixated on always burning body fat and always improving our metabolism? I think we got to trust our bodies at some point. And at, ultimately at the end of the day, intuitive eating says like, what feels good in your body? Like, what do you enjoy? Mm-hmm. I know I have plenty of clients that love to eat a big breakfast and dinner is more, it's still a substantial meal. It's not that we don't eat it, but it's like their breakfast is their biggest meal. Where for me personally, I would say dinner is my largest meal of the day and breakfast and lunch, just because I'm a busy mom. I own a business. Mm. Like I'm just a busy bee during the day. I just can't like digest a huge breakfast and lunch. So that like literally wouldn't work for me as it would for many people. So again, I think intuitive eating asks us to be less about like, what should we do and more about like what works for us? what feels good in our bodies? What do we want to do? What feels good from like a pleasure, satisfaction, hunger, fullness, cravings, and also like just understanding what feels good in your body too. Yeah, for sure. And I kind of wanted to ask you, cause you kind of touched on it a bit about how your body knows what you want. And it's so evident in people like that have different tastes for foods. Like everyone has different likes and dislikes of foods. And that's just kind of 
what your body and brain want. So it's not like everyone has to do the same thing. But anyways, I wanted to talk about the set point theory, which I saw that you talked about on your Instagram. And I've actually heard about through uh, some like social media influencers doing it because they had extreme hunger or, or well, they did this diet where they kind of ate whatever they want to get to that set point. And yeah, I just wanted you to elaborate on that because I've heard about it, but I've never heard about it from a registered dietitian. Of course. I think it's one of the most fascinating things about the ideas of like intuitive eating and health at every size. And it's from the health at every size framework specifically, um, which is like a research in a book that shares like why it's not saying health at any size. It's saying that we have the right to pursue health at every size, but in the book and in her research, she talks about set point theory, which is the idea that if we stop dieting and just eat how, how we want to eat and trust our bodies to eat what's nourishing without diets and with without restriction and exercise in a way that feels good, not to exercise for punishment or for manipulation of calories, our bodies will find their natural set point weight. That is about a 10 to 20 pound weight range. Cause we're not meant to always be the exact same size. It's a weight range that your body can comfortably maintain again, without dieting, without forcing exercise. So I was described as like set point is the natural weight range you will maintain when you're just naturally taking care of yourself, when you're practicing intuitive eating, when you're respecting your body, it really isn't that hard the hard thing about it is making peace with where it falls and with what it's meant to be. Because with intuitive eating, three things are likely to happen with your body size. You'll either gain weight, lose weight, or maintain your weight. So again, it's more, I think what's more challenging about it is not the fact that set point exists, but rather like us making peace with the fact that our bodies, our natural body size may not be what we want it to be. Hmm, That makes sense. And like, also, I think on that topic, you talked about on your podcast, Thin Privilege. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if you could explain that too, because I've heard it before, but I think it made sense coming from you because you were talking about how I always was saying I'm a body positive dietitian, mm-hmm. but you can't be body positive if you're like coming from a privileged situation or something. I, I don't know, maybe yeah. explain that more. Yeah, I'm happy to. Because privilege is, I mean, I think it's important that we recognize our privilege. Like in- yeah all circumstances, right? But your generation, by the way, is like much better about respecting <laughs> privileges. And like, you guys are like more attuned to it. I feel like my generation, then especially like the older generations, my parents' generations, like anytime I bring up privilege to them, like white privilege, for as an example, they mm-hmm. get, it's like a whole conversation and we have to battle about it. But anyways, mm-hmm. you guys are great about it. So thin privilege, I mean, as again, there's privileges in so many ways. Um, thin privilege says that you are not like you have definitely struggled. It is not discrediting any body image or eating disorder struggles that you have had, but some of us cannot understand the, the discrimination and the marginalization that other people and larger bodies have experienced. So we've all likely experienced negative body image beliefs, but there's some things that we will never understand because we live in thin bodies. I'm just saying we, because um, like I personally would say, even though I'm not like a size zero, I'm, I'm in the larger side of the thin privilege spectrum. I still definitely exhibit thin privilege. And the reason is, is I've never been um, told that I'm unhealthy from a doctor. I've never been told that like, I can't fit into an airplane seat. I've never been discriminated against. I've never had people yell at me and telling me that my body is fat or unworthy or that I'm lazy. I've never experienced those things that so many people in our society have experienced. So mm-hmm. um, in that podcast episode that you're talking about, I talk about, and I'm hoping I can like remember them correctly. Cause it comes from the work of 
R.G. Tovar, who's like a fat activist. And she talks about intra, inter, and institutionalized fat phobia. So we've all experienced like intra, pers- uh, intra fat phobia, which means like we all like feel the fear of being fat. Mm-hmm. Inter is like when someone tells you that you're fat, and then institutionalized fat phobia is like when you've literally been discriminated against in our society. So then privilege can help us understand that like we may have intra personalized fat phobia, but we've never experienced those other forms of fat phobia. And that's where our thin privilege comes in. So again, it never negates your own lived experience or your own struggles, but it does help us to see that like there's some things that we will never understand. So Alex, yes, you're right. I used to like really early on days of like doing this work, I used to call myself like the body positive dietitian and definitely stopped using that when I started <laughs> to realize like, hey, that's inappropriate for me to use. And again, we all learn and grow and evolve. And mm-hmm. I started to realize like, hey, that's just not, that would not be appropriate for me to use because I really can't say that. And I will also say the body positive movement was created by black women and femmes that was not meant to be used for like white women to say, I love our bodies. And that doesn't mean we can't be positive about our bodies. Again, that's not what they're trying to say. They're just trying to say like, that wasn't the reason of the movement. I do think it's really important that we understand that and that we respect that too. Yeah, for sure. I find that really interesting because like we, I guess, as on the more thin side, as you were saying, like we've never had to shop at different mm-hmm. stores. Like we can always shop at whatever stores in the mall. Um, but people who are in lar- larger bodies can't. And then the whole thing that you said about like plane seats or even like seats on the bus and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, with like, everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff that we don't think about that we have to realize that that's our thin privilege. Mm-hmm. And I also, <laughs> the, the trend, I kind of want to talk about because this goes hand in hand with like thin privilege. Um, the trend on social media that that's like bodies that look like oh this. Oh my God. <laughs> also look like this. And I saw that you kind of did a side-by-side uh, with some uh, some person who was kind of critiquing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I just wanted you to touch on that and kind of like why. And I I thought it was okay at first. I was like, oh, it's great. People are showing like, themselves bloated or in a bad position and all this stuff but it's also kind of like I don't think it's very healthy because it's saying like oh even though I look this good in this pose I still have roles and it's like well some people might have roles when they're not in a bad position they Mm -hmm. might just have them when they're just standing up normally so it's kind of like you're giving a negative connotation to that when in real life it's just the way that your body is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you nailed it right there, right? Like it's just, it's, it's giving this connotation that there's something wrong with having roles or that, um, if your body looks like this can also look like this, like, what about that person that always looks like that? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think it just, it, it's great in some senses, but it is beginner level stuff, right? It is like, okay, well, yes, bodies can look like that, but let's dig deeper. Let's ask, why are we even saying things like that? Like, why are we saying bodies that look like this can also look like this? So like, no worries if you're listening or like, I really resonate with that. And that's really helpful. That's part of the process, right? Of like the body image work is like first starting to realize that like, that is okay, that we don't look like celebrities and like literally Photoshopped models. Like that's part of the process is like coming to terms with that. And I think that stuff helps. I just hope that we're able through the feedback that people like that, that activist gave us in that, that clip that you're talking about, like think a little bit more critically and think a little bit more. What I love about fat activists and body positive movement, people who like do that work for a living is that I feel like they help us open our minds to 
not just our own experiences. Cause that's how it can often feel in your own body image journeys. Like what I've experienced is true for all people. And when I started to come to terms with the fact of thin privilege and that I can't understand what it's like to, to be in a body size through podcast guests I've had on it also when I started to do more clinical training and body image work and just started to have clients you know in diverse body sizes and shapes and heard their stories I started to realize like there's literally some things I will never be able to understand and I think it just it's again it's important that we yes say that that's true but like let's dig deeper and let's also respect the fact that there's more to it and there's more other experiences than just our own okay Um, I think we kind of want to touch on now some, what are some signs that you may have disordered eating or disordered eating habits and kind of what steps someone can take after that? Because I feel like the first, the hardest step is always realizing that you have disordered eating or bad eating habits. So um, yeah. So what are some signs? There's lots of different signs. Um, I would say, so we touched on just a bit ago that anytime you have anxiety, stress, or worry about what you're eating, that's definitely something to reflect about. If you always feel super negative and at war with your body, that's something to think about. If you're always trying to change your body or you're always trying to lose weight, you find yourself often going from one diet plan to the next. Maybe you even kind of like morph some of those diet plans together. Like you start doing keto and then you start adding intermittent fasting and then you start eating gluten-free and like, it just like kind of like continues and continues and continues. Um, other signs, I mean, just generalize like not eating enough throughout the day, um, not, you know, skipping meals, skipping snacks, uh, purposely controlling your portions. Maybe you're measuring out your portion sizes or how much you're eating. You're purposely choosing to not eat certain foods or food groups. I'd say the most common one right now is carbs, carbs and sugar. And then like second to that is fat. I feel like fat has had like a resurgence of like okayness in our society, but still not like as highly priced as protein and vegetables, which are wonderful for us. Don't get me wrong, but like carbs and fat are good for us too. Um, So, you know, again, a controlling or cutting of food, food groups, carbs, just cutting calories in general, logging everything you eat into my fitness pal. And particularly if like you feel. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. My fitness pal, like I just see that a lot and I'm like. Yeah. And then like, what happens if you can't log or what happens if like you are go on vacation, if you cannot not do it, that's something to reflect on. Right. Like if like, let's say, I mean, I personally don't ever believe in using it, but it's a particularly a problem if you can't let it go. I, I think the biggest thing is like inflexibility. Like you can't be flexible. Like you can't miss a, a day of exercise. You can't not log your food into my fitness pal. You can't not portion out your food. Those are things to think about. Um, I agree with you, Vivian. Like it's definitely hard to make peace with that, but like just listening to this kind of information is the first step, right? Like hearing some people share honest stories and feedback about like, Hey, like I thought I was just being healthy and actually I'm struggling with disordered eating or, um, I have really negative body image and it's making me constantly go from one diet to the next and always trying to change my body size. Um, or maybe always trying to control my symptoms and I'm constantly, you know, going to one person to the next, trying to figure out what's going on with my symptoms. So, um, those are just some things to get started. Again, I think it can also manifest in fitness and like how you like never take rest days or you're always being super high per vigilant about how you move your body. And I'm trying, I think, I feel like those are good things to like get started. Just mm-hmm. reflection is probably the best place to get started listening, educating yourself about a different practice. I mean, I think listening to podcasts like this, I mentioned the intuitive eating book. I mean, there's like 
an amazing list of resources of books and podcasts out there, but I'm just getting started kind of like hearing some different stories and maybe following some anti-diet people on social media would be a great place to get started. And then I personally believe if you do struggle with a disorder relationship with food, it is so dang hard to heal on your own. I think it can be very confusing and overwhelming. So I personally always recommend obviously working with someone because it just makes it so much more easy and less confusing and supportive. Um, And you know, there's so many cool things out there. Like I mentioned in the beginning, we have online courses, we have one-on-one work. So there's different things available for like, depending on what's available to you, but above all, just like reflection, the ability to like admit to yourself that maybe that, that there is a problem. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why it's so important, like the work that you do. And when you talk about orthorexia and like the obsession with also like working out too, is I, I don't think people talk about that enough like if you're obsessed with working out that that could be a symptom of other things too Mm -hmm. and I see that Vivian and I see that all the time with like some of our friends on social media stuff like that so I think yeah I think that's a really good sign and those tips are really good (laughs) yeah especially cardio because Mm -hmm. like I follow a lot of fitness people who kind of got into social media and kind of got into fitness through this unhealthy way and then developed hypothalamic amenorrhea which is yeah you nailed it yeah Yeah, yeah. um I've heard a lot of people talk about it and what is that what's that it's your period it's when you lose your period yeah and I I mean we do a lot of different hormone work but it's like the the biggest hormone work that we do because it's essentially when you're under eating and over exercising you lose your period and you develop hypothalamic amenorrhea I just call it HA because it's easier to say but yeah 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 for sure and like it's that was the only way that they realized that what they were doing was unhealthy because of the like excessive cardio and kind of losing so much body fat and I'm pretty sure it's like because your body is like under stress and trying to like do other things other than have a period um so yeah I just find it that for me personally is something that I would look out for like for the listeners and stuff like that and I think me personally like as a personal story in second year when I talked about before like I I had some disordered eating definitely not an eating disorder but like for example on the weekends if I were to like get McDonald's or something after a drunk night the next morning I'd be like okay I'm not gonna eat breakfast Mm -hmm. and I would be starving and you're not the only one that does that I know so many people like it just it's I think it's a school university college lifestyle where it's like everything you eat counts and matters and affects your overall worth as a person. Yeah. And I don't do that anymore, but it was definitely prevalent. And I realize now, like I would be so hungry. I would go to work and I like wouldn't even be in the right headspace, be so kind of like woozy kind of. And it's just like, why did I do that to myself? And I don't want anyone else to do that to themselves just for the sake of eating less and mm-hmm. and maintaining their smaller body because in reality if you eat that breakfast like you're not gonna gain 10 pounds no you can trust your body right again with that point you can trust your body will will figure out where it's meant to be and also like I don't know I think we're all like meant to do so much more in the world than diet and try to play small in our lives and I do think dieting makes us very small and I would love to see women and any person who struggles with their relationship with food just really stuff into their power. And I think healing a relationship with food allows for that. And I don't know, I think we can create a lot of change when we stop dieting. It's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, for sure. We can have our, like our, our minds brain. focused on so many other things other than what we're eating and how we're exercising and what we look like. 
Yeah, there's this incredible book, uh, The Beauty Myth by Na- Naomi Wolf. It's a pretty, like, pretty intense book. But um, and I'm not going to get the quote exactly right, but she talks about how like dieting is like the biggest political sedative out there because it keeps us fixated on the wrong things. Mm-hmm. So just, I think that that's even something to ponder on is like, if that's all you think about, like, what else are you missing? What else are you not focusing on that needs our focus? Because we need change in mm-hmm. our world. And I think Vivian's mentioned before on some other episodes that like, it takes a lot of energy for your body to metabolize differently. Like your body doesn't want to be different. It wants to stay the same and like, mm-hmm. so that things are predictable. And then I also saw um, a video that it was like, this is how much um, like five pounds of fat is and how much you need to actually overeat of your calories to gain it. Like, I feel like there's this misconception that you eat fat and it's like, I gained five pounds of fat. And there's so many other ways that your body can gain weight and fluctuate with your hormones, with water weight, with things you're eating, with your stress. I don't think that I wasn't educated on when I was younger about that your body could just gain five pounds like in the morning because it wants to. And that's what like it needs to happen for processes to happen in your body. But I don't think like you learn that and you automatically assume that you did something wrong. And that's when you start thinking about what did I eat yesterday? What did I eat like this morning? Can't eat that. Got to work out. Like it's a very like big cycle that you can get yourself into if you view your food in that way in a negative way Mm -hmm. yeah and also why the scale is so I don't know I don't like the scale (laughs) like I (laughs) yeah I just feel like putting a number on that is just so dumb and also I've heard a lot of people talk about how they struggled with body image so much that they just took away mirrors from like their room like full-length mirrors so that they couldn't like stare at their body and critique it mm-hmm. which is super interesting for people to know if they're like struggling with that because I think mirrors like obviously it reinforces that and also like me and Alex have talked about on the podcast before like body checking like I find myself a lot of body checking like if I just go to the bathroom brush my teeth like I body check and it's kind of like why am I looking at my body like yeah. why we all do it we all do it I'm so wonderful though that you have the awareness because that's how we like stop it over time but I'm like mm-hmm. seven plus years into my intuitive eating journey I still find myself doing it the changes that I'm like <laughs> am I doing like no like I don't do that anymore but it's crazy to think of like how ingrained it is into mm-hmm. women in particular that how much we we body check like multiple 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 times a day probably like 20 30 40 like that amount of times per day and it defines your like your worth and how you're going to feel that day which is crazy to have that Mm -hmm. much of an emotional impact um what I want to ask you though that I just thought about is when you do when you work with clients is there a section that works with um like I guess family because I have a lot of friends and like I I feel like even most insecurities with your body and stuff come from the way family treats you and like Mm -hmm. your relationship with others or like a significant other saying like don't eat that like you don't like you know like affecting how you view yourself so I was wondering if you have like a component where you work on how your relationship with others too because that's just as important as your relationship with yourself and food yeah I love that you say that Alex it's so important and uh, yeah I mean it it literally probably comes up in every session we do with a client. In the beginning, it comes up because we spend a lot of time in the first two or so sessions really detailing through history and family dynamics because mm-hmm. that plays such an integral role in people's own relationship with their food and bodies. I've never worked with a client, if I'm being honest, that hasn't had a mother or a significant person in their life uh, who dieted or who talked very negatively about their bodies. It's just mm-hmm. so common. 
Um, so we talk about that. So we talk about kind of like the past and we'll talk about like the present of how it's showing up. A lot of times we're talking about like how to set boundaries with people, how to mm-hmm. tell people what's allowed to be said around you, um, how to talk to people about what's triggering your own story. So yeah, it definitely, I mean, I wouldn't say like, it's not like intuitive eating isn't like you go through it like one, two, three, four, five. It's very like, it's a lot more fluid than I think sometimes think of it is because there are 10 principles, but mm-hmm. it comes up in every single aspect of it because it is, like you said, it's such a huge part of our day-to-day lives. And I think it's so important that we learn how to navigate that and not let it trigger us and also learn how to stand up for ourselves and to say like what we need and what's okay to be allowed to be said to us. Even like going a step further, like I have a child now who's two years old, like being able to say like, Hey, you can't say that to my daughter. You're not allowed to talk about her body size. Even as young as two years old, people have like comments can get made. So it's just mm-hmm. constantly kind of having that wherewithal that awareness to be like, Hey, like, no, we don't do that in this house. Like you, you're not allowed to say that you're not allowed to like comment on how, how people eat. Um, so yes, ultimately it always comes up because it's such a huge part of like how we live our lives on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's so smart because, and I definitely want to raise my, like, if I am lucky to have kids, I want to raise my child like that, like not talking about myself negatively or not talking about them negatively in terms of like body image and, and size and all that. Cause I think that because like someone could say on social media, something oh about bad, about p- larger people, um, and then someone might not take that in a certain way because it's like, oh, I don't know them. But because family is so close to you and you mm-hmm. trust them and you have like such a close relationship with them, I think that's why it's so, it can impact people so much. Mm-hmm. And I, I see that a lot in my friends as well. Like the ones who have more critical parents are usually the ones that are more Showing. critical on themselves. Yeah. 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 Isn't that crazy to think of? And it's so true. I mean, I can think of like so many clients I've worked with, so many friends and family members. You're right. Where like, if their parents are critical, it's so easy for them to be self-critical and then also really take the words that their parents or whoever it is saying the critical things and really take them to heart and think that that means that they're inherently not worthy, which they are. So now I even say too, I mean, sometimes it's setting boundaries and having conversations with healthcare providers. I mean, one of the things that's wrong about fat phobia is we have a lot of assumptions about who has eating disorders. And I work with many clients that are in larger bodies that have eating disorders. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately they're told to have an eating disorder to manage their weight, where if that person with the exact same characteristics lived in a thinner body, they would be told you have an eating disorder or something's wrong with you. So I think it's even important that we think about it from like a healthcare provider standpoint of like, again, what's the language that we're using? How are we talking to people? Ultimately intuitive eating is about improving our health. We're just Mm -hmm. focusing on behavior changes. So um, sometimes we have to even have our clients understand, like, how do you talk to your doctors, your healthcare providers about it too? I honestly hadn't even thought about that too, because that's so true. Like if you're in a bigger body, they're like, you got to do all these things. Um, Just to wrap up, I guess, I think the thing I'm interested to hearing your perspective on is like what to do when you have these bad body image days and you feel beat up about yourself. And Mm. if you have any tricks or tips to do for our listeners to kind of, I don't know, feel a little bit more empowered and not feel so down on themselves. Yeah. I love this question. The first thing I'll say is like normalize it. Like they're going to happen. We are swimming in a sea of diet culture. You're going to have a bad body image day. Don't beat yourself up. 
I hear all the time from my clients. They're like, well, now I feel bad when I have them because I know I'm not supposed to. I'm like, I still have them. That's not the point. The <laughs> difference is you know what to do with them. So when you have a negative thought, you have an entire day that's really negative about your body. The difference is you hear the thought, you think the thoughts, and you know that they're not true. And most of all, you don't let those thoughts become the authority of you and act them out. So again, just because you have a thought doesn't make it true and doesn't mean you have to act on it. That that's the difference with body image work. It does not mean that we never have the thoughts. It's just knowing how to handle them. You can even think of it similar to like the concepts of meditation. You know how people like talk about like letting thoughts float along like little bubbles. Mm -hmm. When you have a negative body image thought, like let it float along and don't attach to it. Mm -hmm. So that'd be the first thing. The second thing I would say is sit and reflect about what the thought is or why you're having it so often it could be because like you actually maybe tried on some clothes that didn't fit the same way it could be literally about your body but a lot of times it's because something else in your life feels really out of control you're stressed you're overwhelmed and then you're projecting it onto body or your food choices or your fitness habits because that feels like something you can't control mm -hmm. just having some compassion with yourself that oftentimes it's like oh this this thing going on is so hard and so overwhelming and so out of control like I just want to control something I just want to control something. So just even recognizing that and just, again, stopping and reflecting so much of like actual intuitive eating body image work is internal thought process. work. <laughs> so just like the ability to sit and like, think about like what, what could be going on, maybe some journaling, talking to a, a friend, like y'all talking to each other or talking to a loved one that can help process through it so that you don't attach to it and go run with it. That'd be my advice. Lovely. That was really good advice. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I think normalizing it is so important and not making it such a big deal for that day and letting it hold so much power over your day and just being like, this is how it is. We're just going to like keep going and have a good day. So yeah. I think that's great advice. And I think that everyone listening is going to be like, Victoria. Yeah, honestly, everything you said today, I think is going to really resonate with our listeners and they can definitely take some advice from anything that you said um yeah I think that we unpacked a lot of things that me we and did. Alex you guys ask good questions I loved it <laughs> yeah, me and Alex always talk about these things like on and off the podcast and we just thought it'd be perfect to get you on because you're an expert in this so instead of just us 21 20 year old girls like talking about it it's just like we actually have someone so yeah well we, I mean people like myself who do this work for a living we learn through people like you guys too mm -hmm. so I think it's all like having just conversations as friends and also just like hearing other people who do the work I think it's all like valuable and you get insight from every aspect of it but again I super commend you guys for like having these kind of conversations and helping your podcast listeners to realize like hey there's another way here like you can practice wellness without obsession and you can learn to respect your body and, and eat in a way that feels good, but it doesn't have to be obsessive either. Mm, yeah. Yay. Thank you so much for coming on. The of course. Yeah, Thanks thank for having me. <laughs> okay. Oh, that was such a good episode. I love Victoria. She is, she's just so like full of information and um so much energy as su well such a lovely person to kind of talk to and interview and I think just like seeing how like what the brand she's built and the community that she's created and I can't imagine all the women and the people and um that she's kind of helped empower through her through her company so I'm really happy we got to have her on and again if you want to go check out her Instagram 
it's Nourishing Minds Nutrition, and then her podcast is Nourishing Women, and that's really specific. My cat is, like, trying to step on the table right now, and I'm pushing him away. Oh, his little ear. Uh, no! <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway. No, yeah, I'm literally going to binge her um, podcast because I used to listen to so many nutrition and body image podcasts, but that, those kind of got away from me, mm-hmm. so I love that she's kind of like she's very modern and new and knows all the like what she knew all the TikTok trends like I you know it's a I think because I think it's something too like TikTok and social media with our age group is something that's becoming a more important role in how we see ourselves too and how we connect with other people and if a lot of your relationships online are based on these connections in these communities about body size, about body positivity, about eating or orthorexia, like these things that you see every single day, it's hard for it not to impact how you feel about yourself. And um, even like the funny thing too, is like Vivian and I, when we were preparing for this episode, we were like, we see all this stuff, but we're like, shit, like we've literally cleansed our whole Instagram and so we don't even know what's going on in the diet world anymore you see things occasionally but it's more like it, it's more what we choose to see and not something that I'm like seeing all the time so I think yeah yeah for sure for sure yeah I was actually going to bring that up because she was talking about like we started talking about like trends and misconceptions and I was right. going to say like I don't really see much anymore because I don't follow mm-hmm. like unhealthy things anymore I've I've quote unquote cleansed my feed of negativity and, and not even just negativity, just things that don't make me personally feel good or, mm-hmm. or uh, like kind of spiral down negative and unhealthy habits and paths. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, this conversation was so good. And I think all you guys probably loved it. I hope you did. If you did love it, please rate us and give us a good um, review. We would love mm-hmm. for that um and you can also watch us on youtube if you'd like yeah and then follow us on instagram sassy underscore pod um and we have some exciting things happening in the fall so make sure you stay tuned and if you haven't listened to our other episodes go check them out we have a whole month of kind of um reproductive health and sexual wellness empowerment the last three episodes have all been about that so go check them out Yeah, for sure. And don't forget to stay sassy, classy. And it's okay to be a tab badassy. Happy Sassy Saturday, everyone. Bye. Bye.